Bobcat fans. Support both your favorite team and Montana State students. When you shop at the student and faculty-owned MSU Bookstore, your purchase lowers the price of course materials for Montana State students. Montana State is in the midst of a historic year, and the MSU Bookstore has everything you need, from jerseys to garments, t-shirts to sweatshirts. You can also find the vast selection of Bobcat gear online by visiting msubookstore.org. Help students excel and look your best in blue and gold. The MSU Bookstore is your Bobcat gear headquarters. Everyone is now on ESPN Radio. Big shoes to fill after last year's halftime show. I've been inspired by Super Bowl halftime music all week. I don't know why. Maybe I'm reverting. Maybe I'm no longer the contrarian that I pride myself in being. Maybe I'm just I'm succumbing to uh, the the norms, the trends, the communal sharing. <laughs> Hey, whatever. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Nuana's now ESPN Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here uh, on your Friday. Got a whole bunch of stuff coming up on ESPN Radio throughout the weekend. We are the official affiliates of the Seattle Kraken. So we'll roll right into the Kraken game here uh, after we're off the airwaves. Kraken playing the New York Rangers tonight. We also got a full slate of college hoops on the radio dial tomorrow. Uh, and then we also have some more Kraken. Well, on Sunday as well, so stay tuned for all of that. If missing the first hour of uh, Nuanas Now, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, which is probably presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. Well, round around we go. We uh, change the venue from time to time these days, but back in our uh, one of our favorite venues, Studio 49 here at the Gallagher Business Building on the University of Montana campus. It's time for the business angle. Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor, joining us. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. You know, I can sort of do this on any court. I feel like, you <laughs> it's know, good. home court advantage is not really a thing. I play well here. I play well <laughs> at your shop. Um, maybe we do it elsewhere. Maybe we'll do a live session someday. Let's do it. I would love to have that happen. That sounds uh, very fun. Uh, we're happy to be back uh, down here. If you haven't heard, big football game coming up uh, this weekend. And so this is always really fun when we get to talk about the business and uh, marketing elements of the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, we had a fun guest earlier this week, Ted Dawson, who was a mentor of mine, a guy who was a uh, TV journalist who... Uh, so many TV journalists in Montana start their careers here, especially yeah. in the sports world. <laughs> he ended his career in Montana. Interesting. He had, he'd worked in L.A. and Dallas and, and all over the country in big markets. And uh, he had called 27 Super Bowls. And wow. he, in the, the, the famed picture of Vince Lombardi in the locker room after Super Bowl one, the young man holding the microphone is Ted Dawson. Wow. He ended, he ended his career in Bozeman, Montana. And uh, so he was the first guy to ever put me on TV. So we had him on the show earlier this week to tell some stories. But he was talking about how... Super Bowl one, there was twelve credentialed media members. Wow, there. <laughs> and now wow. there's like hundreds and hundreds, if That's not even twelve a, per player. Yeah, probably. exactly. If, right, maybe more. He was saying you know, the first Super Bowl was at the L.A. Coliseum. Mm-hmm. They only sold like half the tickets. Yeah, like the, it's just crazy how much this has grown. And fifty-seven years of Super Bowls. That's a it's a long time and not that long of a time either to just see the way that this thing has grown. I think that the NFL sort of saw what it could become, but I don't know if anybody imagined that it would be as big as it is now. Oh, certainly not. Um, it, it has just become its own cultural force. Um, and we've talked about it over and over and over again. It's just, it's, it's, there's, there's dimensions of the product that enable it, I think, to have such resonance. But um, they've also just tapped into so many dimensions of our cultural psyche. And you now have an event that has transcended just sport. It is, it is a global event. 
and it attracts interest from people that really don't even care at all about football. In some ways, that is, I think, a problem with the viewing experience that the crowd sure. just doesn't really seem like it's a part of the game right. when you're watching the Super Bowl. I've never been to one. Um, I'm, I suppose it's a great experience, but it's not the sort of partisan fan experience that we've come to come to enjoy all the way to this point of the game. The neutral field is kind of this this weird thing that um, changes the dynamics in, in a way. Can you imagine Phoenix this weekend too? Because Phoenix is the host of this and it's yeah. also hosting the Waste Management Open simultaneously. For those that don't know, the Waste Management Open is the largest spectator attended golf right. tournament. It's like a NASCAR race, mm-hmm. basically. It's like 400,000 people there uh, at the Waste Management Open. And there's one other important person coming to Phoenix as well, right? Which we'll talk about in a moment. <laughs> Kevin Durant just <laughs> got traded. Maybe we should go to Phoenix this weekend. We should have planned this out earlier. Cheap flights out of Montana. But actually, I don't know if I would want to be around 500,000 extra people descending upon what is already one of the five biggest cities in America. Yeah, probably not. That's not <laughs> doesn't seem like my jam right there. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Super Bowl commercials this year cost mm-hmm. between 6 and $7 million. Yeah. Uh, I remember when it, they first went over a million, and that was not that long ago. It hasn't just been, you know, the 57-year history of the Super Bowl has not been uh, associated then with these massive jumps. It's yeah. gone from a million to seven million in maybe 15 years, maybe less than that, mm-hmm. maybe 10. Uh, so interesting to see. I mean, what do you think of just the sort of exponential growth of this costs for these commercials? You know, it's 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 hard to get your head around. I mean, you understand the growth of the NFL as a media enterprise and sort of the value of advertising in an NFL game relative to any other TV event. I mean, we talked oh, a few weeks ago about, what was it, like nine of the top 10 uh, rated sporting events of 2022 were all NFL games. Right. Um, and so that tells you, like, if you're going to spend a dollar on television advertising, the NFL is the only way to, only place to spend it. They have For kind sure. of relative monopoly power in a way. That said, I, I feel like, Television, we're kind of at this shakeout moment for I think the advertising industry in general. We saw, you know, with kind of the the downturn in the the, the tech stock market that that people are started starting to question the efficacy of the the digital ad um, business model. Yeah, um, why do you think that is? You know, I think it's it, I think that that model is is effective in the sense that you can target particular people with a particular message at a particular time. Like if you want to get targeted advertising, if you want to pick certain people and get them your message, digital is the only way to go. Facebook, Google, whatever. Um, there's but, also there's also like the e-commerce side too, right? Where it's instantaneous. Like true, they present a good to me that I'm gonna maybe click on, and then all of a sudden I buy, and so they can directly track that Instagram ad led to me. Exactly, that like shirt. Instagram's a great example. The yeah. way they've engineered the consumer experience is is. It's wonderful. It's also arguably predatory because yeah, <laughs> sure. it works so well. And so that's a great way to spend a dollar in terms of advertising. But I think like you're so inundated it, inundated with it all the time that, that it kind of loses its marginal efficacy. And, and I worry, I don't worry. I think the same thing with the, the NFL and the Super Bowl ad, like, the $7 million for a 30-second spot, that's just to get you in the door. Right. That's to buy the time. And the costs for actually producing an ad of quality that is um, commensurate to that space far exceeds that, 
right? And so the, the amount of res- there's there, that that makes it such that only a very few types of companies can afford to even play in that space. The Cokes, the Pepsis, the Fords, the Budweiser, the same all players, right? Right. It's, it's At this point, it's just become a flexing contest, right? Exactly, and it's almost noteworthy if one of those big companies doesn't do a Super Bowl ad. It totally. almost generates some more attention. So as far, you know, it's very imprecise. It's casting a wide net. It's just massive, but it's, it's an opportunity to reach a bunch of people. And, you know, we talked offline about like this notion of releasing ads ahead of time. And mm-hmm, that's kind mm-hmm. of become a thing. Right. Um, and that's a way for these ads to kind of maybe get some pop of over and above the $7 million 30-second spot that they're only just going to see, see once. Um, and I think that helps kind of generate, you know, complements the social media side with, the, with the, the traditional media side a little bit. The business angle, Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Uh, the I'm so fascinated by this, the phenomenon of this because there is no other day or time or event in which millions of Americans say, I can't wait to watch something on TV because of the commercials. Right, right. We're always trying to avoid the TV yep. commercials, even if they're subversively uh, somehow getting to us anyways. I just I don't know how this happened. Is it because the TV commercials are always so quality or because we love something to talk about or because it gives maybe non-football fans a conversation piece? I mean, how, how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, there's people that tune into the game just for the commercials and that allows them to be a part of this event. Right. right? You can have a Super Bowl party and half the people can be there to watch the ads and half the people, I mean, you could play like musical chairs, right? The ads come on and half the crowd <laughs> leaves and the other people come in That's and, right. and you That's make, right. make up whatever stories you want about who that is is in the room but it happens and that's a way for the for, for the event to hold people's attention and more people's attention and so now the question is like can you be effective so you can certainly there are great examples of very entertaining ads mm-hmm. funny emotional well produced memorable um, but I think there is a risk that in, in pulling all of those levers to make a memorable ad, you can overshadow the message and messages, hey, buy my product, right? If you want people right. to be aware, well, you want people to be aware of your brand. It's hard sure. to call them to action in the 30-second Super Bowl ad, but you want people to be aware of your brand, remember it, and a lot of times these ads are just so powerful emotionally, whether it's funny or something else, that you kind of forget what the actual brand was. As somebody that works in advertising, I think about this all the time. In terms of exposure, brand name recognition, and yeah. awareness, there's no better place to advertise than the Super Bowl. In terms of actually, like you're talking about, though, a call to action, it seems very uh, muddled. I mean, the the, the the cryptocurrency ad from last year was just the, the QR code. I thought that was the uh, greatest yeah. Super Bowl ad I've ever seen because you actually could have people clicking on the QR code and going to your website. Exactly. Is anybody going to go buy more? Are they going to run out the door and go buy more Coca-Cola right on the spot because they saw the commercial? I really don't think so. No. The the efficacy of those ads is only to the extent that it reinforces existing brand associations. Like, it takes a good story and perpetuates it. Um, You know, and and, uh, research is showing more and more that the cheaper and more effective way to a loyal customer, a customer who will buy once and keep coming, mm-hmm. is through word of mouth marketing, right. word of mouth approach. So, so I think like the that's harder work to do as a marketer. It takes you know kind of more of a ground game, so to speak. Um, but it, it ultimately leads to better results. And I think it's a bit of a distraction as far as the conversation at a college like the University of Montana College of Business, like 
very few of our students are going to work in a firm that will have a Super Bowl ad consideration. Right. right. Um, so they need to learn kind of the... I'm using these football metaphors, man. They need to learn the blocking and tackling <laughs> well, that's of right. good that's right. strategy and good marketing, much more so than analyzing Super Bowl ads. Although it's, you know, it's it's much like the point about who watches the game and who doesn't. Like, you know, I'm sure next Monday, most marketing classes in this building will be talking about Super Bowl ads because students watched them and it's a way to have engagement. And, you know, there's important lessons to draw there, but how generalizable they are to most students' eventual working experience, probably very little. The pros of having the Super Bowl commercials online are obvious. The repurposing of any sort of content to a different way for people yeah. to consume it, that that's sort of one of the keys to modern media, right? Totally. Are there cons? Well, um... It's not like you're going to have less people watching your commercial, right? I mean, it's, yeah, just, it's just inherently more people. There's cons in the sense that if you've already seen it you, you, and you know it's coming, you might be more likely to go refill the, the French onion dip during that, sure. when that adds on. That has trickle-down effects as far as the ratings go, because they can capture ratings of these ads as well. Um, you know, sometimes... Uh, you know, much like a, a movie, there's what the critics think and what the actual viewers think and how aligned those are. You know, I think another interesting phenomenon in this space is, and we used to see this with like players like PETA, right? Mm -hmm, You'd mm -hmm. see articles that the PETA ad was banned from the Super Bowl or X and Y ad banned. And that's just a guerrilla marketing technique, right? The, right. They never intended to buy a Super Bowl ad. But getting a story on BuzzFeed or where sure. USA Today yeah, yeah. that their ad was banned, it gets people interested. Like, ooh, that ad must have been pretty saucy. I'm going to go <laughs> check that thing out. And so they probably get more play out of this sort of secondary effects of pretending they were banned rather than actually making a, a trying to actually do a Super Bowl ad. It's amazing the way the advertising works. I think about this with myself as an advertising subject all the time. And, yeah. You know, it's amazing the things that do resonate that don't. I couldn't even tell you any Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> but maybe that's just because I've so watched You're watching the so game and probably during the yeah, ads you're right. jotting down your analysis. <laughs> you're trying to prepare for your show. That's exactly right. Justin Engel here on Nuwana is now the business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, I feel like there's been all sorts of different genres of artists that are performed at halftime. Mm. They've been t catering sometimes to the boomers. There was the Bruce Springsteen, you know. Then you had, like, the Jet Xers with the Prince. And, uh, yeah, then you've had uh, sort of the almost millennials, like the Gen X millennial crossover with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all the hip-hop guys last right. year. But now we just have a straight-up, real-deal, in-the-moment music superstar in Rihanna. So uh, is this just a, an effort to have it be all-encompassing, or what do we think of this choice for the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah, it's pretty non-controversial. There's no nostalgia, really, because she's still like famous in this moment. She just released a new album. Yeah, she's got crossover appeal. For sure. It appears to a pretty wide generational um, range. I think it's a safe choice. It's not a vanilla choice by any stretch. Sure. I mean, she's got some edge to her, and she's got some backstory and some ups and downs. There's some there's a dynamic story there that I think people of, of a, from a variety of perspectives can tap into. Some older folks remember kind of the, was Chris Brown, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah the, the, all that um, bad stuff that happened there. But then younger folks are into her music too. Like my daughters listen to her kind of from some of her music from, uh, I think it was Sing. Yeah, yeah. She did a ton of the music for Sing. And mm -hmm. so they, they have on-ramps to her as well. So as far as, you know, Super Bowl, 
halftime show, you, you want it to be safe and to be, yeah. uh, well, safe is an interesting concept. <laughs> That's right. You want it to have broad appeal. Yes. You don't want to be narrow in its in its appeal, and I think Rihanna's a good choice in it, that regard. It seems so interesting to me, too, because it seems like no matter who appears on the halftime show, there's going to be criticism and scrutiny, oh, yeah, and almost always it's negative. Yeah. Because I guess somewhere along the lines, the consuming public missed the memo that playing in a 100,000-person football stadium is not going to be the same quality of a concert as going to an actual concert yeah. venue like a Red Rocks or something and seeing it. And uh, then think about it, like, uh, as a journalist, uh, like, is there any return as a journalist to saying that was an awesome halftime show? That's right. Like, you're, nobody's going to pick that hot take up. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. I loved Adam Levine with his shirt off. You he know? was like, great. <laughs> it's, he it's, really hit the notes. It's so all true. The notes. It's so true. So then on that note, then, is, is this an objective boost for the artist that performs at halftime, even if there is massive scrutiny that comes along with it? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think so, so I mean, who cares what some talking head thinks about your Super Bowl halftime show. If, if your fans like it and you reach new fans... And 50 if, million people are watching. Yeah, if you, if you do the thing you're supposed to do well, and that is sing your song and perform it, then it's going to have good returns for you just because you've cast such a wide net with it. One uh, common theme here on the business angle has been uh, the sort of uh, normalization of sports gambling. Mm. I read earlier today that they're anticipating $16 billion yeah, yeah. are going to be bet on this game. I think there's actually a lot that goes into that. First of all, it's the normalization of, of sports gambling, but also this is one of the most even matchups of, of that I can remember in the yeah. Super Bowl. And so the line is only one and a half points in favor of the Eagles. So you got people on both sides pushing this thing because neither team is a decided uh, big-time favorite or underdog. And so... I don't know. I, I just think it's. I think it's fascinating. The, the, just the way that this whole thing has evolved, and the and the uh, there used to be this omnipresent fear that the normalization of sports gambling would then cause all sorts of untort behavior, and for whatever reason, people just completely don't acknowledge that fear anymore. It's fascinating to me. I'm not saying anybody's going to rig the Super Bowl. I'm just saying it, this is just a the latest example of just how normalized it has become. Yeah, the cynic in me says the fear was manufactured, right? Sure. It, it, was, it was just manufactured resistance by the NFL in order to get to a place where they were ready to embrace it. Because sure. change change takes a lot of time, but then it happens really fast, yeah. right? And that's what we've seen in this instance. I think about kind of the um, the story of seatbelts. You, you remember the story of seatbelts with Lee Iacocca and Ford? Kind of. So anyway, like market research, this is when seatbelts were coming out in the early 70s or late 60s. And the research showed that customers were not interested, were not willing to pay the additional amount that it would cost for manufacturers to put seatbelts in cars. Wow. Even though the manufacturers knew at that point that it would increase the safety of their products tremendously. And the automobile industry, kind of led by Lee Iacocca at that point, kind of colluded to keep seatbelts out. Like, we're not going to introduce these things because we can't raise our prices enough to recover the cost, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then, as much of a leader in that collusion as Lee Iacocca was, he was the first to cheat. Mm. And then once he cheated, like, all of a sudden, seatbelts... <laughs> We're in. And so I think that's kind of similar. I mean, I don't, I'm not making any accusations of collusion, but sure. like the NFL resisted for a long time. And for whatever reason, they say the fear of the integrity of the game, but like that fear evaporated as soon as they let it in. Like, sure. Okay, this is a huge money. They want a piece of that $16 billion, right? right? And they want to, what's from their standpoint, it's like, what's better that we let this happen in our orbit or that we, control it and get as big a piece as we can. 
it's it's endlessly fascinating because there was a whole bunch of poor officiating calls yeah. in the championship games, particularly the AFC championship game, which then, of course, cued Twitter to say this is all rigged. Oh, yeah. And uh, I actually think that there's more potential validity to pro sports being scripted than people give credence to, but I also don't necessarily know if it's the buying out of the referees as much as just the uh, the crafting of the storylines. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it is. a like you know, what that looks like in the back room. You right. know, who calls who and who says what? Like, okay, you know, lean on the Chiefs or whatever. And what does that look like? Um, it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where like that many people can kind of pull off a conspiracy and sure. keep it secret. Although I do think it's possible that like, you know, gamblers can get to one particular referee or one or particular player sure, or whatever. Yeah. I think there's 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 reason for concern there, but that concern has always been there. The stakes are a little bit higher now though. For sure. When it comes to just the the we always see then when big sporting events happen, the winners sometimes the losers, but mostly the winners Become then the darlings of the moment. Oh yeah, and we best see them, team ever. You know, right? And we see this in 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 the in the Olympics a lot. Uh, you know, with the the, the female gymnasts, and uh, but we also see this with Super Bowl and especially the quarterbacks. Yeah. And so, it just in terms of the the marketing power behind the result of this game, what's a better storyline, Kansas City or Philadelphia? It's. I, I mean, I think to your point about the teams being evenly matched yeah. on the betting lines, like they're evenly matched in terms of storylines, and the, totally. I don't think either has like the the hero story that an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or some of these more. I mean, Patrick Holmes is on the. He's sort of an iconic player at he's this stage, there, even sure. though he's relatively young. But he it, it, that sort of explosiveness and the um, kind of he's one of those few athletes that you can. You're not. You tune in because you might see something you never seen before. That's right. There's, that's a short list of, For of sure. people who captivate an For audience sure. that way. You know, and I think like both are kind of interesting media markets. They're not the largest, but they're not small. Right. And they have a very dedicated uh, fan base that is um, that kind of makes the story especially compelling too. And Mahomes is already on such a huge platform, too, right? Yeah. I mean, he's already one of the most endorsed guys, in, or I guess the mo- one of the most biggest endorsers of NFL yeah. players. I mean, he's on commercials all over the place. Yeah, and he's he's lost more than he's won at yeah, this right, level. Right. At the same time, he's been to this level so many times sure. So at, at such a young age. And so I think that the, the sort of immediate upside... I think I think like Kansas City's window is probably tighter than Philly's. That's right. Philly's on the rise. Kansas City's been there for a while. Yeah. I think like if if you're trying to maximize a return, Kansas City probably has more of a return to maximize because their their downside risk is higher at this point. The business angle here with Justin Angle, it's a Super Bowl edition, but we got to talk one thing that's not Super Bowl. Uh, in a, it, I don't know if this was planned or just coincidence, but. The NFL always is stealing from the other sports in terms of stealing the spotlight, even if it's not a prime time. But this week, the NBA did the unthinkable, and they stole the spotlight from the NFL for a couple minutes, twice. I guess now three times, because Kyrie Irving got traded to the Dallas Mavericks a couple days ago. Then LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record, and then Kevin Durant got traded Mm -hmm. last night. And This is pretty good for the NBA in terms of the exposure. I mean, usually, I can't even listen to sports talk radio during Super Bowl week because... 
you already by Thursday, you've already heard every single take rehashed a million times. Today, I listened to it all the way down here because they were talking about Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns, not the Super Bowl. That's amazing. It's a big deal, and it's rare that you see trades with the potential to completely change the competitive landscape of a league overnight. Yes. And that's essentially what's happened here. I mean, Kyrie going to team up with Luka is potentially, you know, power shifting there. Yep. Uh, the Suns ne- needed a player to get them over the hump. They've been super close, and, and Durant could get them there. And just the notion of like the whole super team that the Nets were supposed to be, just the, the owner and the management there just completely surrendering. Like, this did not work, and we're going to scrap it completely. So a lot of interesting storylines there, but... I think that the bottom line is it gives fans a real reason to tune in sure. for the last bits of the season and the playoffs because it's going to be different. From a business and finance standpoint, too, we're also seeing now the first uh, rendition of the uh, s- sort of the, the f- I don't know, fallout's the wrong word, but the the um, the things that can happen from these gigantic max deals that yeah. these guys sign. Mm-hmm. When the Super Max was first introduced... Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Russell Westbrook all signed these deals. Well, then you saw Russell Westbrook not be Russell Westbrook, and he's gotten traded five times. Yeah. He's going to be on his five, fifth different team since he signed that deal because nobody wants to pay him $50 million this year or next year because mm-hmm. they know he's not worth it. Exactly. So they keep moving the contract around. It's the same thing with now Kyrie Irving because he was just so unavailable in Brooklyn. Durant's been playing. He's still worth the money. Uh, that's why the Suns went and took on that contract, even yep. though he's going to be making $53 million by the time it's done. Uh, it's just interesting to see the way that these contracts have evolved as well and how if you get one, teams are willing to take it on if you still perform at that level, but how if you don't perform up to the level, all of a sudden we got to get rid of this deal. Yeah, and there's not there, the, the pot in the NFL is not it has a bottom. That's right? right. There are limited resources here and teams are teams are still wealthy. These are still big amounts of money, but I think they're they're being forced to the, the other like I think you painted that picture well. The other side of these max deals yes. is a pretty harsh reality. For sure. For the teams and it can be for the players too. Um you know, that kind of Commitment on your balance sheet is a, is a big deal, especially you know if that player's if that player is not performing and you need to use those resources to get other players. Like that's you're stuck, and you got to offload those people. And you know, oftentimes there's enough suitors desperate enough that they'll take you on for a shot at, at making something from nothing. There's an automatic out to the NBA because on one, first of all. Uh, there's not the dead cap hit that exists in the NFL. Right, and right. also there's the luxury tax. Yep. And if you're willing to pay the luxury tax like the Warriors have for many years in a row, it doesn't matter. Send me the bill, we'll write the check, yeah. it's all good. Whereas like you look at the Denver Broncos right now, Russell Wilson has a very uh, Russell Westbrook-esque contract right yes. now. But if they were to get rid of him, it'd be $105 million of dead cap hit next year and 85 the year after that. Mm-hmm. You can't just eat $190 million of credit to your franchise. So at the NFL, you get even more stuck. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so those kind of constraints, I think, make for, um, you know, I, th- I think the sort of legacy of failed contracts in the NFL, outside of injuries, because injuries are sort of a random shock, um, not totally random, but... Sure. Um, more so in the NFL, the, the the kind of legacy of these 
you know, awful contracts chasing a player around don't exist quite as much in the NFL as, as they do in the NBA um, because those max player contracts are such a liability over time. My eternal question remains, when is it ever going to have a, a, a end game for the exponential growth to end? It's just amazing. Like, you know, in 15 years, are guys just going to be getting paid $100 million a year? Uh, we'll see. I mean, we see more and more that... The, there's decline of viewership, particularly sure. among young people of professional sports. It's most salient in baseball. Uh, we've talked in this segment often about the risks that are facing the, the NBA. I think the NBA has diversified itself in a way that is not consistent with kind of the, the market position that they've tried to in- encourage their players to take. Um, so I, I think pr- it does seem like pro sports is, is an unstoppable juggernaut. Yet at the same time, I think there's evidence that cracks exist and, and those need to be paid attention to because they're real threats. The Business Angle with Justin Angle here on Nuwana's Now ESPN Radio. What's coming up on a New Angle podcast? You were cutting some promos when I came in here. It sounds like an interesting one. That's right. Next week, we have Mariah Gladstone. Mariah Gladstone is um, Blackfeet in Cherokee. Um, she lives in Kalispell and up on the 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 um, in that zone. She is the founder and proprietor of Indigit Kitchen, which is an online platform that seeks to help people re-indigenize food systems. So return folks, tribal folks in particular, to their ancestral eating eating systems and eating habits, um, whether that's where you get your food, how you prepare it, et cetera. And so she's got an amazing platform, a great audience, and she really threads the needle nicely between an educator um, and somebody who can motivate, but also somebody who's an activist and carries a very... Um, yeah, she talks about some very serious topics of, of decolonizing a food system um, that need to be taken seriously, but she does it in a way that's welcoming and not um, adversarial. A New Angle podcast, as well as the business angle here on Nuwana's Now, both presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to learn how they can help you, whether you got a small business, live in a rural community, need fiber, anything like that. Goblackfoot.com. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. And the ESPN MT app. How about some Super Bowl talk? Final predictions and analysis next. Keep it right here. ESPN Radio. For unquestionably committed coverage of Montana, Montana State, and Big Sky Conference athletics from a homegrown local source, you can count on Skyline Sports. The grassroots news-gathering organization is owned and operated by Coulter and Brooks Nuanas, a pair of Missoula natives and University of Montana graduates. For the best sports journalism in the state, you can choose to buy local when you choose to buy Skyline Sports. For $8 a month or $90 a year, you can get the best coverage available at SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio, Missoula. Nuwana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here on your Friday. Got a fun slate for you. We got Kraken versus Rangers. That's Seattle Kraken, New York Rangers, NHL style. Immediately after this show, we are the official affiliates of the Seattle Kraken for the season. Very happy to uh, have them on board with us and for uh, them letting us carry their games. Tomorrow, we got Duke versus Virginia, ACC showdown, followed by Lakers versus Warriors. A ton of live game content tomorrow. And then Sunday, we got a morning game, 
The uh, Seattle Kraken and the Philadelphia Flyers play 11 a.m. puck drops. You can find all that throughout the weekend here on ESPN Radio. I want to talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl. First of all, I have sort of dug my heels in this week on the side of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I must admit that I think that I have misspoke. I have said all week that I think these are two evenly matched teams. I actually don't think that that's true. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are uh, significantly better than the Kansas City Chiefs pretty much across the board. But the places in which the Chiefs have an advantage are two of the most important positions or uh, spots in this game. I think that the the more veteran and the more accomplished uh And just, quite frankly, the better head coach is Andy Reid, and that's nothing to take away from Nick Sirianni, but I do think that Andy Reid is probably the best coach of the 21st century in the NFL, not named Bill Belichick. So, um, you know, I mean, there's a wide gap between Belichick and everybody else because dynasties have not been a part of the modern NFL except the New England Patriots winning seven Super Bowls and going to 10. Mike Tomlin's probably in the conversation there as well. Uh, six Super Bowls. Oh, yeah, Tom Brady's got seven. That's right. Andrew's giving me the six through the glass. Tom Brady's got seven. Uh, the Patriots won six um, out of nine, that is. And then Tom won one on his own with Tampa Bay, of course. Uh, but uh, the other spot then, and, and this is to take nothing away from Jalen Hurts, is Patrick Mahomes. So, so I think that Mahomes and Andy Reid are the great equalizers in an otherwise uh, disproportionate matchup in favor of the Philadelphia Eagles. I also think, though, there's an interesting thing going on, and it's been going on all year. The national media attached themselves very heavily to the narrative of the rising star that is Jalen Hurts. He was given an unbelievable amount of credit for the rise of the Philadelphia Eagles. And make no mistake, he is an unwavering, steady and, and very, very poised leader. He's unflappable. He might be the most unflappable quarterback in the NFL right now just in terms of his steadiness, his emotional um, consistency. But because of the, the latching on to that narrative, the defense for the Philadelphia Eagles hasn't gotten enough credit. Everybody knows they're good. Everybody praises them as being good. But nobody talks about the individual players And nobody talks about the historic accomplishments of the unit. They had more than 70 sacks this year. They had the most sacks in the NFL since 1985. They had four, count them, four players with double-digit sacks. They also, though, have one of the best corner tandems in the the, uh, NFL, led by Darius Slay. So uh, that's my question for you, Andrew. Andrew, you are a, a Philadelphia fan. Andrew Houghton on the other side of the glass here, our producer here at ESPN Radio. Who would you say is the most uh, recognizable name on the Philadelphia Eagles defense? Um, Fletcher Cox, probably, still. Uh, and and that's, I think... Or, or Slay. Yeah. Or Slay, sure. Yeah. Sure. I think that, that uh, passionate NFL fans know who both those guys are. Sure. I think that casual NFL fans know who neither of those guys are. I think that's one of the issues, though, because I've heard all week the, the, there's been some people that have sort of come to the forefront now that have been talking about the historical accomplishments of Philadelphia's defense w- through the lens of saying, well, they're good, but they're not the Bucks of, you know, Tony Dungy with Derek Brooks and, 
And, uh, you know, Simeon Rice and Warren Sapp, they're not the Ravens of Ray Lewis and Tony Siragusa and, you know, Ed Reed and yada, yada, yada. Did you like that, Doc? I, I only watched the first little part of it. The Boys of Baltimore is a great doc. I, only, I, I just turned it on while I was eating lunch the other day. I only watched, like, the first 20 minutes of it. I can't wait to watch the rest. But I think that's the thing, though, is my Brooks Nuanas has talked about it on this show multiple times. Hassan Reddick is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Hardly anybody knows who Hassan Reddick is. Fletcher Cox, if you know, you know, but he's still an interior defensive lineman that's in, you know, sort of the twilight years of his career. Brandon Graham, same thing, a spot pass rusher who his best days are probably behind him, although he did have double-digit sacks this year. I think that they're, even the people that do acknowledge Philadelphia's defense, though, they 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 then immediately demean them by saying, well, they're not the 85 Bears, they're not the 2001 Baltimore Ravens, they're not the Bucks, whatever. And it's just because of a lack of star power. And uh, so I'm wondering if that's just been a, an undertold part of the narrative all week, but also all season, and maybe Philadelphia is is actually historically good on defense, and maybe we should actually give them credit for just their prowess as a total team. Yeah, I mean, Colter, you know how you become historically recognized as a defense? You shut down Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and you win by multiple touchdowns. I think a lot of those guys would become a lot more That's right. household names That's going right. into next year than they are right now. Hassan Reddick goes out and has two sacks. All of a sudden, everybody knows who Hassan Reddick is, no doubt. No doubt. Um and actually, I, I, I'll revise my answer to the question. The most recognizable name on Philadelphia's defense by far is Indomitian Sue, but that's sort of a trick answer, right? Because yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's definitely a rotation guy at this point in his career. Don't they have another veteran D tackle somewhere? Linville I guess Joseph. Yeah, Linville Joseph. They picked up Linville Joseph to play the nose when Jordan <laughs> Davis went down oh, midseason. Man. If you had the Indomitian Sue and Fletcher Cox and Linville Joseph of five to eight years ago altogether, that would just be flat unfair because all three of those guys were unbelievable. I mean, Limbaugh Joseph was very good for the Vikings, and Sue was just Sue. I mean, he was he was a, a force of nature at his best, and uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, that's but that's I think that's also part of why they have so many of these guys that can come in and get these spot mismatches in, in pass rush situations because even if you're only getting 15 or 20 snaps a game out of Sue, out of Cox. That's pretty good uh, relief pitching, so to speak, so that he could roll the big guys in there. That's exactly right, and it brings it back to just the the original place where I was going with this. It's so appropriate that nobody's talking about the individual guys on that defense, that they don't have a guy who's recognized right away as one of the best defensive players in the league when you're reading the name off, because they've done it with depth all season, Coulter, and maybe it's a it's a... It's a new thing for this new day and age of NFL football because we saw the Rams do it last year, right, with with Von Miller sort of as a guy mm-hmm. uh, who they brought in to go max effort for 20, 25 snaps a game at the end of his career. But the strength, uh, the, the thing that separates this Philadelphia defense from the other good defenses in the league, I think, is the pass rush. And the thing that separates Philadelphia's pass rush from the other good but not great pass rushes in the league is that depth, and so maybe it is appropriate that nobody knows who these guys are because they're they're doing it as a unit. They've got just a bunch of great guys, like you said, a bunch of guys they can bring out of the bullpen who can beat you one-on-one. My favorite part about this Super Bowl is because I love, my favorite part about sports is legacy building and legacy debates. That's what makes it all so fun. That's what makes this job so fun. But I think that both of the uh, teams in this Super Bowl to get, they haven't gotten enough credit to the addition to their legacies for getting here, but there's going to be a giant windfall 
either way that this could go. If Patrick Mahomes loses Tyreek Hill and just has a, a, a rotation of skill players that are much less prestigious than he's used to other than his Hall of Fame tight end, Travis Kelsey, and he can get over the top against this, what I believe is a historically good defense in Philadelphia, okay, now you, you, it's another notch in the cap, and now all of a sudden he's a bona fide Hall of Famer for sure, and now in the real conversation of all-time greats. On the other side, though, if you go massacre Kansas City, if you're Philadelphia, maybe all of a sudden the light turns on and people realize, oh my gosh, if Jalen Hurts wasn't hurt, this team might have actually had a chance to completely run the table. And either way, uh, here they are, and they they beat the best quarterback of his generation. So I think that uh, the, the, the legacy additions that could happen from the result of this game are pretty profound on both sides. Yeah, it seems at first glance that uh, Mahomes and Reed and the Chiefs, uh, Travis Kelsey, of course, are only the only side really playing in that sandbox where it matters to their legacy for this game. But that's just because, uh, you know, they've been doing it for so long, right? They have already the foundation built up that a win in this game adds on to. Uh, but for Philly, I think it's just as important and just as momentous because it's the thing that, that kicks off to where you really get your legacy discussion started. I mean... If they win this year and they can keep it rolling, are they the Chiefs of the next five years? And and that's but if they if they lose, all those discussions go away. I guess is what I'm saying. The only quarterback of the last ten years that has broken out, took the league by storm, hit a storm in terms of the way everybody defends him, overcome it. And then return to the ranks of uh, the the elite is Patrick Mahomes. So many other quarterbacks have gone nuclear, r- risen meteorically, hit some skids, and then dropped back down to being average or below average. I mean, see Carson Wentz, see Russell Wilson, see Jared Goff, see Matt Stafford. What happens with Jalen Hurts when he hits that storm? Can he emerge through it and then reattain the level of the elite? That's a conversation for later, uh, not for this weekend, but... Um, should be fun, and uh, it's been a minute when there's only uh, two or less points spread in the Super Bowl, so I think it should be a knockdown dragout. We'll give you one last thought on the whole deal, plus a couple thoughts on the man they're honoring tonight. Now, Dahlberg Arena will do that next to take you home here on your Friday. It's No Honors Now, ESPN Radio. Grizz Nation's favorite outfitter is the M-Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. And now the M-Store has a brand new location in downtown Missoula. Come check out the new storefront located on the corner of Higgins and Broadway. The M-Store in Missoula has been your Grizz gear headquarters for more than 10 years, offering some of the most original University of Montana gear you'll find anywhere in the Garden City. Next time you're downtown, swing in. Come by the M-Store today and wear what the Grizz wear. Or shop online at MontanaMStore.com. ESPN Radio. Of all the Rihanna songs we played on the show this week, I don't think she's going to play that one at the halftime show. But uh, that's my favorite one. I know. I'm a dark man. Nuanas Now, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on your Friday. Miss anything in the show? You can find it on the Nuanas Now podcast, available on all of your podcast hosting platforms. Heard from Carol and Chico's No Sports. We had the business angle with Justin Angle. We also gave you. Some Big Sky Conference scores and analysis. Heard from Brian Holsinger, Lady Grizz head coach. Heard from Pete Hamill, our new partner at Vertical Rays. 
as uh, we are launching Players of the Year, both AA and A, boys and girls basketball, and also talk some Super Bowl. Nuance Now podcast probably presented by the M Store and the MSU Bookstore. Last thing I'll leave you with here, I think that the Eagles win if they shoot out to a, a good lead and they're able to let that pass rush wreak havoc. I think the Chiefs win if that doesn't happen. If the Chiefs can go blow for blow early and then give the ball to their star quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, late, I think the Chiefs are the team uh, that will take the Super Bowl. But I do expect it to be a very, very good game. Uh, I'm going with the Chiefs. I, I think that uh, the Eagles are the better team, but I think that uh, – the Chiefs have a quarterback of destiny, so I'm going with uh, Kansas City. Here in about half an hour, the dedication of the hardwood. Dolberg Arena will now be home to Robin Selvig Court, 6.30 down there at the Adams Center. Uh, very much looking forward to honoring Coach and uh, catching up with a bunch of Lady Grizz, uh, but certainly uh, a fun and uh, memorable and important night as the, uh, the man who was one of the pioneers in women's sports in this state and in this region uh, is honored, so uh, we'll, we'll let you know how, how it goes. We're back at it on Monday. We'll have a Super Bowl-heavy show on Monday. We'll catch you then at 4 p.m. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. I am here with Catherine DeLands of The Advocates. If you've been listening to ESPN Radio, you're familiar and you know if you've been in an accident, the advocates can surely help you. What sort of expertise do you guys have when it comes to uh, any sort of personal injury accidents, things like that? Uh, it's all we practice. Uh, you're not going to get an attorney who's practicing family law or in court defending criminal cases. All we do is personal injury. We're a multi-state firm, but I'm right here in M- Missoula. So we have the backing of a large firm uh, with just years of expertise there, too. Free consultations. You can find out more by calling 406-640-4444 or by visiting online 24-7 MontanaAdvocates.com.